From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this special Friday edition, today is the March for Life here in Washington, D.C., and for the first time in nearly five decades of the march, a sitting president addressed the March for Life. Now, I can say this without hesitancy, and I believe today's program will validate this claim. From top to bottom, this is the most pro-life administration since the pro-life movement began. We'll hear from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo later here on Washington Watch to outline what the administration has done internationally to protect life and what is still to come. You won't want to miss that interview. I'll also have in studio with me Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar to discuss a major pro-life announcement that he made earlier today at FRC's Pro-LifeCon. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton with an update on the impeachment trial, which is now competing with infomercials in terms of viewership. He'll also weigh in on the important pro-life, pro-family steps Congress should and could be taking. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T. Perkins. Uh, men in the Pensacola area, let me uh, remind you, coming up January the 31st and February the 1st, Stand Courageous. That's our men's conference, Marcus Point Baptist Church. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Ladies, uh, don't feel bad if you can't. Uh, obviously, it's a men's conference. But on Sunday, February the 2nd, I'll be speaking at Marcus Point Baptist Church. So go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, to, uh, to find out more. All right, day four of the uh, Senate impeachment trial. The, uh, the House managers appear to be trying to set a record on the number of ways you can say nothing. But as we discussed yesterday with Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy in the House, this pursuit of a crime to match the charge is coming at a high price. What could Congress be doing? What is Congress missing? Because they're distracted with this infatuation of removing Donald Trump from the presidency. Joining me now with the latest is Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, who's been there front and center. Senator, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, it's good to be on with you, and welcome to all of those Americans who came to Washington today for the March for Life. Earlier today, um, I was able to greet several Arkansans who came up with some donuts and coffee uh, in our office in the Senate before we had to get going on day four of the Adam Schiff show in the United States Senate. I, I, I tell you what, I was, I was talking with, uh, with House uh, Minority Leader McCarthy yesterday about – I'm not sure how you guys can uh, – I, I know most of the personalities in the Senate. I don't know how you guys are sitting still for so long to listen to the same thing over and over. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge sometimes, Tony. Uh, I guess it helps to have been in the Army where you have to sit in the hide site for a potential ambush for 24 hours at a time. But uh, I think I'd rather sit still in a hide site in Iraq for 24 hours than sit in the Senate listening to Adam Schiff for nine hours in one day. Um, what One thing that, that strikes me when I'm sitting there is just how repetitive the House Democrats are, and that's in part because – of how thin the evidence is for these articles of impeachment. I mean, they repeat themselves every 30 or 60 minutes, um, and that's in part because they have so little evidence to prove their case. Putting it, let's put aside the constitutional question, just the evidence that, that the president took inappropriate action and broke the law by, say, withholding um, aid from with Ukraine. The law only said the aid had to be released by September 30th. He released the aid on September 12th or so. 
Um, and then all these Democrats up on their high horse about how this brief pause of a few weeks in releasing this aid somehow imperiled Ukraine and soldiers were dying in Ukraine for this. Where were those Democrats up on their high horse back in the Obama era when for three years Barack Obama refused, refused to send any lethal aid to those soldiers? It's Donald Trump who has sent Javelin anti-tank missiles or night vision goggles to Ukraine's military and enabled them to defend themselves more effectively. Barack Obama sent them blankets and meals ready to eat. I don't remember these Democrats crying back then about the noble fight that the Ukrainians were not able to carry on because of Barack Obama. But now, President Trump also, uh, in the law, the National Defense Authorization Act, he was required to ensure that the issue of corruption had been addressed before releasing the funds. So by delving into this issue of corruption, that's consistent with the law that Congress passed, is it not? Yes, Tony. And unfortunately, Ukraine um, is a struggling democracy in which corruption has been endemic for 25 years um, across changes of administrations, very different leaders and very, very different parties in Ukraine, corruption has remained endemic. It is a real concern there. And one obvious, glaring conflict of interest is the conflict between Hunter Biden, on the one hand, going to work for a corrupt Ukrainian oligarch being paid $80,000 a month with no apparent qualifications, and Vice President Joe Biden, on the other hand, leading Ukraine policy for the Obama administration, not just from the Oval Office, but boasting about how he flew to Kiev and told the president, we're going to withhold this security aid if you don't fire the prosecutor, the the very prosecutor who had a case open against Hunter Biden's patron. I mean, that is a glaring and obvious conflict of interest. Anyone who heard about that, to include the president, would be concerned about it. That's one reason why yesterday you saw the Democrats spend three hours on Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Three hours trying to convince the American people that it was irrelevant and it was not an issue at all. Anyone who can see the circumstances know that it's at least, at least reasonable to look into that, to consider exactly what happened when Joe Biden told the Ukrainian president, fire the prosecutor that has a case open on my son's boss. I mean, it, it doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, there's clearly a, a problem there. Uh, you know, you, you talked about how hearing the same thing over uh, the lack of evidence. I mean, it, 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 and I certainly have not heard as much as you have because I cannot stand there and, and, and watch all of this. I've watched parts of it. But it sounds like they're not going beyond the talking points. They've developed these talking points, and it's just a repetitive uh, process of repeating these, I would almost say, f- talking points that have emerged from focus groups. Well, I, I can assure you, Tony, that they are repeating themselves over and over and over again. If this were in a courtroom, and it's not, and there are real differences between a judicial uh, um, case and a court of impeachment, the judge would have long ago gaveled down the House Democrats and told them to move on for being repetitive. But again, one of the reasons they're repetitive is that they have so little evidence to support their articles of impeachment. Now, that's not because they didn't try. Don't don't buy this line that, oh, we need witnesses and we need documents. They had 17 different witnesses in the House 
who have really nothing to add to the picture except hearsay and their speculation, and at root, their disagreement with the president's Ukraine policy. Now, that's fine. They're entitled to their opinion. They're not entitled to try to impeach the president of the United States because they disagree with his policy. The president sets foreign policy for this country. Um, furthermore, there are so many documents, so many documents over in the House that as of last night, they still haven't physically transmitted them to the Senate because they don't know how to get them over here. So, so don't fall for this line that there have not been witnesses and documents. There have been plenty of witnesses and documents. They just don't say what the House Democrats wish they said. Well, uh, I'm not going to be accused of the same thing uh, as the Democrats because I want to move on to some other topics. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about, Senator, you made reference, uh, Senator Cotton, to uh, folks in your office coming up earlier today, coming up for the March for Life. I mean, this is an issue that is um, you're passionate about. There, there's, this is an administration that's advancing life. There's many policies kind of really uh, just on hold because the, the Congress has been preoccupied with this, uh, this issue of trying to find a crime that would match the charge that, the, that really was leveled day one of this administration, trying to remove this president from office. Yeah, and, that's, and Tony, it's important to remind everyone that they have been doing this since the first day the president was in office. This is at least the third, maybe the fourth time they've tried to impeach Donald Trump. And when this one fails, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to again, because in the end, no matter what the specific allegations are in any particular article of impeachment, it all gets back to Donald Trump's one unforgivable sin, beating crooked Hillary in 2016 and being poised to beat the Democrats in 2020 yet again. Yeah, that's that's the real issue here. But when you look at the policies that are not being advanced um, and some of the things that are missing, I'm very concerned. And I know you're as a as a veteran of the Army, um, as a part of um, the, the Senate, which pays close attention to foreign policy issues. I'm very concerned about what's happening globally that we might be missing. I mean, it's almost as if we're seeing a second uh, Arab Spring, what's happening in Lebanon, what's happened in Iraq, what is unfolding in Iran. I mean, there's some some very significant things happening globally. Indeed, Tony. Uh, and, in fact, the biggest of all that's happened in the last few weeks uh, was when President Trump authorized the killing of Qasem Soleimani, the terror mastermind of Iran. Um, it's hard to overstate just what a significant victory that is for the United States and for the good guys in the Middle East. Qasem Soleimani had the blood of thousands, thousands of Americans on his hand, to include soldiers who served in Iraq at the same time I was there. Not to say hundreds of thousands of people across the Middle East, from Syria to his own people in Iran. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt from the intelligence that he was planning a major attack against Americans in the coming weeks or days. Uh, so the world is a much better place now that Qasem Soleimani is no longer a part of this world. And I would liken the president's action here to what he did with Ukraine. In the same way that Barack Obama sent the Ukrainians blankets and Donald Trump sent them anti-tank missiles, Barack Obama sent pallets of cash to Qasem Soleimani, yeah. Donald Trump sent him hellfire missiles. <laughs> 
a, a very sharp contrast, uh, indeed. Uh, when you look at the overall policies of this administration, and, and, and not just the policies, but as you've described, the, 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 the way this president works, he's been described as a disruptor. I think that's true on his foreign policy. He's shaking things up. It's, it's, it's as if we're going beyond the era of containment to actually problem solving. Um, that's for sure, Tony. Um, I, I think if you move a little bit to the east on the globe, you can see this happening um, in, uh, in China. Um, I think one of the, the biggest and most lasting legacies of the Trump foreign policy will be reorienting the United States' view towards China. Now, you and I for a long time have known how depraved the Chinese Communist Party can be, whether it's the brutal one-child policy that led to forced abortions and forced sterilizations for decades, or literally harvesting the organs of political prisoners, oppressing uh, religious minorities, whether Muslims in the West or Christians in the East. Too many Americans, though, were not awake to that threat. And in part, I, I have to say, because a lot of politicians in my party just viewed China as a place to send our jobs and factories and get a lot of cheap stuff in return and get rich in the meantime. Right. Exactly. Because this is one area where Democrats, especially some of the leaders like Chuck Schumer, have been um, more alive to the threat. Donald Trump has made sure that Republicans in Washington understand that China is a serious and ongoing threat to our way of life, and I think that's going to last beyond his presidency. A very, very good point and a, and a great point to end on. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton, I want to thank you for joining us, and, and I'd really like to continue this conversation on foreign policy because I think oftentimes we miss the importance uh, of that. And this is a uh, it's an opportune time around the world to, uh, to, to, to re, reshuffle. Uh, what's happening. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Always good to be on with you. All right. uh, Folks, don't go away. Coming back with Secretary Azar after this. Join FRC Live via webcast for the 15th annual Pro-LifeCon Digital Action Summit. On January 24th from FRC's headquarters in Washington, you'll hear from political leaders, bloggers, journalists, and activists who will share how they view social media and other digital tools to further the pro-life message. You'll be empowered to better reach your own communities by learning best practices from those who are at the cutting edge of the digital pro-life movement. Tune in Friday, January 24th at 8 a.m. at ProLifeCon.com. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Family Research Council's new podcast features selected talks by top thinkers from the archives of the FRC Speaker Series. Our podcast podium takes on tough issues like religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture, all from a biblical worldview. Listen with us to the lecture, then stick around afterward as we break down the content. The Lecture Me podcast is available wherever podcasts are found or visit frc.org slash podcasts. Ever hear the term toxic masculinity? Hello, this is Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. Masculinity is under attack in our culture. The American Psychological Association released guidelines declaring traditional masculinity ideology as harmful. Brown University and Ivy League School offered a course, Unlearning Toxic Masculinity, explaining that rigid definitions of masculinity are toxic to men's health. In a University of Texas class, Masculine UT treated masculinity as if it were a mental health crisis. Thankfully, the culture does not have the last word on true masculinity. God does. Our Stand Courageous Men's Conferences offer biblical solutions 
to the crisis of manhood. We seek to help men develop character, cultivate habits, build relationships, and make commitments that will move them closer to God's design. Check out StandCourageous.com for an event in your area. That's StandCourageous.com. What other trip? This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Now, when it comes to pro-life policies, the Trump administration, they've been a machine producing dozens of pro-life policies, many of them countering the pro-abortion policies of previous administrations. Roughly a third of those policies have come from one department, the Department of Health and Human Services, under the leadership of Secretary Alex Azar. Now, HHS has, uh, I would have to describe them as the engine of the Trump pro-life machine. Joining me now in studio is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Azar. Secretary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. Well, uh, t- t- earlier today, you were at the uh, here at the Family Research Council for our pro-life con, and uh, you made a uh, an announcement, a very important announcement of a new policy f- and action being taken by the administration. Share yes. that with our listeners. So this morning, I... I announced a historic enforcement action. As your listeners will know, uh, there has long been bipartisan legislation that forbids states and local governments from requiring that health insurance companies or health care plans or their sponsors cover abortion services. California has had a law in place that does exactly that. They require every insurance company to cover abortions. And so today, for the first time ever, we issued a notice of violation against the state of California, ordering them to come in compliance on penalty of loss of federal funds with the Weldon Amendment to respect insurance companies and plan sponsors' choice to not cover abortion. Now, this is an issue that we have been very involved in here at the Family Research Council because we have um, dozens and dozens of churches that we work with in California through our Watchman Network. In fact, I think we have... It's probably a competition between Texas and California in terms of the number of churches that we're affiliated with. And these churches have been forced by the state of California to fund abortion. Now, I, I want, now, folks, I want you to think about that for a moment, that these churches that preach the gospel, the word of God, speak about the sanctity of human life, have been forced by the state of California to fund abortions in their health care. That's blatantly wrong. Well, you know, one of our complainants was, in fact, a non-denominational church that, uh, that raised objection. The other was a group of Catholic sisters who, think of that, Catholic nuns who were being required, are being required by the state of California to pay for and have abortion in their insurance plan for themselves. But it's important to remember, the Weldon Amendment is not about conscience or religion or moral objection. You simply may not require it. Right. You don't have to state the basis of your reason why you don't want to cover abortion. Right. You don't have a threshold. It simply may not be done. Right. And yet they have done it. We have sought to get them to remediate. They have refused. And we hope they will bring themselves into compliance now that we have shown that under President Trump's leadership, this law will be enforced. Now, this, is, this has been a longstanding um, principle 
in our federal policy. The Hyde Amendment, going back to just a, a year or two after Roe v. Wade was uh, imposed on the nation by the court, is that a, a recognition that uh, people have a moral Oftentimes it's morally based, religious based, but they shouldn't be forced to participate and fund something that they have objections to. That's absolutely correct. And whether it's on life or when it comes to religious liberty, President Trump has set a direction out that says we can ensure that people are treated with respect and dignity in our health care system and in our services. But we can also and must also respect religious freedom moral and conscience. One does not have to check one's beliefs at the door in order to participate in our health care system. Secretary Azar, I've got a a stack of uh, uh, regulations, uh, policies that you've put forth that are pro-life here in front of me. No way we're going to have time to get to all of them. But I want to talk about a couple of them that are extremely important to, uh, to our listeners. But it's been a busy week at uh, the uh, department because you've you've issued other action, taken other actions this week, uh, some pertaining or one action pertaining to the state of Texas. Explain that to our listeners. Absolutely. So Texas has a really important program under Medicaid, a demonstration program where they provide women's health services to women who are uninsured up to 200 percent of the federal poverty level. Well, back during the Obama administration, the Texas state legislature passed a law saying that you could not participate in that program if you provided abortion services. The Obama administration then kicked Texas out of Medicaid. The state continued running that program, but just with state money. On Wednesday, I granted Texas permission to have that demonstration program back in the Medicaid program. This is this is a matter of number one respecting states, uh, their right to do things in accordance with federal law, uh, but also respecting again conscience, religious freedom, a long-standing principle in our in, in our government. And we saw the violations of that left and right in the previous administrations. I know you've been doing a lot of cleanup. Uh, one of those has been in the area of uh, adoption services, where you're respecting again the religious freedom and religious conviction of adoption agencies. That's right. And what we've said is we need more kids to get adopted. We need more providers of services to connect kids with potential adoptive parents. Some of the best providers are actually religious-based providers, and we cannot force them out of the system because they do not opt into every aspect of a certain agenda. And so what we have made clear is that where there are services available, secular services for all comers, that it is okay if a provider focuses on working with co-religionists, for instance. Right, right. You're not excluding anyone. You're no. including everybody. That's right. It's, 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 actually, it's a policy to bring more in, not to exclude. Right. We, we want to, the number one priority where our heart is, is making sure kids can get placed and adopted. We need more people helping, not fewer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're up against a, a break. We've got to take a, a quick uh, break, and then I want to come back, because I want to talk to you about Title X funding, another big issue. Fetal tissue research, another stand that the department has taken. And then I want to ask you about something you said earlier today at our Pro-Life Con about the president 
and why these policies are occurring throughout our federal government. So, folks, stick with us. Secretary Azar is here with us in studio. We're going to come back after this short break, continue our conversation with the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch to come. We also have coming up Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So you don't want to miss that interview either. So don't go away. More to come after this. to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you on this uh, Friday afternoon. Joining me in studio is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Alex Azar. Secretary, thanks uh, so much for uh, for joining us here. Glad to be with you. I, I want to start, by the way, folks, uh, we're not going to have time to go through the list of pro-life, pro-family, pro-religious freedom uh, policies uh, that this administration through uh, the Department of Health and Human Services ha- has enacted. So I've got them listed on the website. If you'd like to see it, share it with your friends and family. Just see what's actually happening. You're not going to see this in the media. If you do, it's usually trying to attack it. So go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got that whole list there. And, Mr. Secretary, you, you made uh, reference to this earlier today when we were at the Pro-Life Con at the Family Research Council, that... These policies are happening because of the leadership and the um, really it's coming from the White House giving you the ability to enact these policies. Absolutely. President Trump is the most pro-life president in the history of the United States. He believes we must protect life from the moment of conception through natural death. The policies that we are implementing could only happen with a president like Donald Trump who has a true sense of courage and boldness to protect life because these are tough things we're doing. These are not easy. Are. The courts fight you. The media fight you. Um, but he's standing up for what he believes is right, and he has empowered us to do that. He has been, I interact with the president almost daily, and he has been uncompromising on these issues. I, I want to underscore that because you know I've been here 17 years. So I've had a, the the ability to see many different administrations and whether Republican or Democrat oftentimes when the the media and the critics pounce on something, you know, everybody hits the brakes uh because they can't stand the criticism. This administration actually hits the gas and and keeps on moving despite the criticism, despite the opposition because it's rooted in principle and conviction. That's right. There's no focus group. There's no polling done on these issues. Uh, we, we act from principle and the president's belief that life begins at conception and ends, at, uh, ends with natural death. Well, let's talk how that's manifested itself in some other ways at the department. Uh, one that I'm, I know our listeners care about, Planned Parenthood uh, dipping into the federal trough in many different ways, but one of them through what's called Title X funding, that's family planning. Again, you put forth a, a rule at the direction of the president that says if you're going to participate in family planning dollars, the Title X funds, fine. Um, and if you're going to do abortion, that's your business. But you can't do both if you're going to get the Title X funding under the same roof. 
That's right. So we are enforcing the law, which says that Title X family planning funding may not be used in programs in which abortion is a method of family planning. And so we are requiring fiscal and physical separation if a grantee has an abortion-providing entity. Um, you know, what had been happening was you would walk in the door of a building, and there would be a common receptionist, common computer system, common filing, common billing. And if you were going to get Title X family planning, you walk to the left. And if you wanted to get your abortion, you walk to the right. And when you're over on the family planning side, they might encourage you and refer you over to the to their own abortion enterprise on the other side. And we have we have made clear that that must be completely separate. As a result of these changes enforcing the law, Planned Parenthood nationwide voluntarily decided to exit the Title X program. That's 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 a lot of federal money, uh, taxpayer money that will not be going into the uh, the pockets of uh, an organization that's been under a cloud of um, suspicion in terms. I'll just leave it at that and how they've uh, conducted business. I learned something in our interview earlier today at ProLifeCon, and that's why I like to do this program, because I learn things when I uh, talk with members of the administration. I found out that we were providing greater protections for mice than we were for unborn babies. That's absolutely correct. So the president asked me to take a look at the use of human fetal tissue from elective abortion in our research program. So we did a survey of the work that's done and one of the things that I found really, it, it astonished me because uh, whatever one's views are on the subject, it would seem that the use of human fetal tissue from elective abortion requires a, a seriousness, a dignity of purpose around it. Um, and what we found was if you're doing re- federally funded research on a mouse, You have to go through animal protection review boards. You have to demonstrate how your research could absolutely not be conducted if that mouse were not involved. You have to talk about how the mouse is to be protected, et cetera. Human fetal tissue, no such protections whatsoever. So at the president's direction, uh, we have stopped all human fetal tissue research from elective abortions within our intramural program at NIH. We believe that one can be both pro-life and pro-science, so we're striking that balance. And then with regard to our extramural programs, we will enforce, there are actually some statutory provisions there. We're enforcing that law to the full extent. And any research involving human fetal tissue from elective abortion will have to get passed through an ethics advisory board appointed by the secretary. Um, And we are going to be promulgating regulations to ensure that if such research is funded, it will abide by the highest ethical, moral, procedural boundaries to ensure the appropriate dignity uh, of, uh, that is used in that process. Well, Mr. Secretary, I know that I speak on behalf of uh, millions of Americans in uh, not only thanking the president for his courage, but for your courage and boldness as well to uphold these fundamental values, beginning with the sanctity of human life. Thank you so much, Tony. It could only happen with the president's uh, the president's backing and his leadership. And, uh, folks, I might remind you that the president is only there because of people like you who care enough to participate in the process to ensure that we have leaders like this in Washington, D.C. Again, to find out more about the accomplishments of the department, go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, don't go away. When we come back, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo joins us. What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, 
how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. A strong case can now be made that China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith, especially Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong. The Chinese Communist Party's movement against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these human rights and religious freedom violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. That's frc.org slash China. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you on this Friday afternoon. Normally, I'm not in the chair on Fridays, but today is a big day. March for Life, President, uh, first time ever we've had a sitting president speak at the March for Life. Like I'm telling you, what the, the Trump administration has taken a stand in America to defend the unborn. The administration, uh, not only here domestically in its policies, as we were talking about earlier, but the administration ha- has also taken steps to advance America's global pro-life footprint through enacting policies like the Mexico City policy, which blocks funding for international organizations that participate or promote abortion. In fact, last July, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, in concert with Secretary Azar, who joined us earlier, they spearheaded an international effort at the United Nations to build a global consensus that abortion is not an international human right. Joining me now to talk about these international pro-life efforts is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Secretary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be with you again. Thank you for having me on on this very special day. It is a special day, and it's a day that uh, even before you were Secretary, it's an issue that you personally, uh, as a member of Congress, were uh, committed to. This administration is uh, unparalleled in its uh, promotion of the sanctity of human life, uh, and that is throughout the ranks, from the top of the administration through every department. And many would not think that the Department of State would be involved in pro-life policies, but it's a big issue at the at the uh, Department of State. Tony, it certainly is, and your your point is well taken. President Trump has made sure to surround himself with leaders who each believe that. Life begins at conception, and we've worked diligently to protect the unborn in uh, every sphere in which the United States government has a role. As a Secretary of State, we have uh, control of lots of taxpayer money that goes around the world, and 
we also are on the front lines of freedom, uh, talking to nations around the world about the protection of the unborn. And you spoke about what Secretary Azar and I did at the United Nations, what my team is doing in the field. Whenever we are interacting with our counterparts, we do so in a way that is mindful of the fact that uh, our government has a responsibility to protect these innocent lives. And then the second element of this is, uh, to your point about the resources, uh, we have done our level best to make sure that no taxpayer dollar ever goes to uh, fund an abortion. Uh, abortion isn't a human right. In fact, it takes a human life, and we've made that clear in the way we've allocated contracts, put restrictions on what organizations that receive U.S. taxpayer dollars can do. And we're mindful that continuing these efforts will require vigorous enforcement in the weeks and months and years ahead. Let me, um, you know, it's sometimes important to define terms, and our listeners are probably better educated than most when it comes to these terms, but for the sake of those that might be listening, the Mexico City policy is a term we throw around quite frequently. Um, explain exactly what that does, because you've expanded it to cover about $9 billion worth of federal aid or foreign aid. Explain Mexico City to our listeners. So this is a historic Reagan-era policy that has been undone by presidents that did not believe in the protection of human life. And when President Trump came in, uh, we put it back in place. It essentially requires any resources that come from the American taxpayer to come along with a certification from the recipient that they would not use those monies in a way uh, that advocated for or uh, resulted in uh, the absence of a protection for the unborn. What, what we have done to extend that is there's always risk that when you provide resources to one, they will subcontract it or they will right. flow that money to some other entity and thereby be able to certify that they didn't do it but have enabled someone else to use those American dollars for that purpose. We've uh, we've put in place programs and certification processes to prevent that from happening. So, oh, so it's essentially stopping the pro-abortion shell game that's often played. That's right. It, it, it essentially uh, doesn't permit a company to use a third-party, you call it a shell game, to use some uh, clever legal tool to circumvent these very important restrictions on the use of American taxpayer dollars for abortions. Now, Now, correct me if I'm wrong. But my close observation here in Washington is that the Trump administration, including the Department of State, is working to correct policies that have proliferated in the last several decades that are inconsistent with America's founding values. So it's not a matter of just pushing the pause button, but it's a matter of going back and correcting America's stand internationally. You and I have been engaged in, in talking about this for a long time, way, way before I was the Secretary of State, back when I was a congressman from Kansas who invited the young Kansans who were on the March for Life to my office for uh, hot chocolate and hand warmers after their march. Uh, we, we, we know this. Uh, America had this central set of founding principles, these unalienable rights that we were provided, and President Trump is requiring uh, every institution, including this Department of State, to go back to these founding principles, the, the central ideas that make America so unique and special. And we're today talking about the March for Life, that central idea of life and liberty, uh, and what that meant to our founders and how the United States government has an obligation to protect that and to ensure that resources that uh, the American government has at its hands don't go to those who would undermine those central values. 
You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, my guest, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, talking about the pro-life policies that have come forth from the Department of State under the Trump administration. I want to go, uh, Mr. Secretary, to the the letter that you and Secretary Azar, we had Secretary Azar on the program earlier, we were talking more of the domestic policies, but in this uh, July letter that you sent to international partnerships around the world, uh, you not only talked about um, giving countries, their, recognizing their sovereignty and allowing them to not be pressured into recognizing abortion or uh, reproductive rights, as it's often called, as a human right, but closely connected to that, you pointed to the family. And some of the things, the policies that are being pushed internationally that undermine the role of parents and divide families. We asked every nation uh, to use its power, its independent power as a sovereign country, to think about uh, the centrality of family to the success of their nation. Alex and I both believe that deeply. Uh, An element of this is to protect the unborn, but another element is the the central principles that deliver on the family unit as the central organizing tenet of successful civilizations. And so uh, many organizations, uh, partnership, international entities have sets of policies that don't reflect that. And what Secretary Azar and I sought to do was to, to reshape the way countries think about this, to make sure they understood how important it was for, for them and for their people's success uh, to understand the, the risks when uh, family is not at the center of how they think about how their countries can prosper and be secure. If I can, let me ask a kind of a defining question or one that would draw a contrast between previous um, administrations. When you talk about this, you're, you're, you're essentially saying allow countries to make their own decisions based upon their religious conviction and cultural heritage and not force them through a form of cultural imperialism with our global policies to adhere to something that is an anathema to them. Yes, Tony, you, you nailed it. Uh, they, they have often uh, had international organizations show up on their doorstep and tie resources, funding, support, uh, commitment, all the things that some of these countries who aren't wealthy nations need, uh, tie them to a set, of, to a set of policies that are inconsistent with what uh, their culture and their heritage reflects and their religious beliefs in their particular country would reflect. You know, we've talked about religious freedom. We, we want to make sure every country has the, uh, the understanding how central that is to their nation's success and how they shouldn't let uh, a bureaucrat somewhere sitting in an international organization interfere with their country's sovereign desire to allow their citizens to practice their to practice religious freedom. And, and again, I, I want to make very clear, because there's some on the left that's saying, well, you're just trying to impose, uh, you know, the Trump values on these countries. When it comes to religious freedom, for instance, it's it's not an American standard of religious freedom. It's an international standard, going back to the uh, Universal Declaration of Human right. Rights in yeah, 1948. Absolutely. No, Tony, it's absolutely the case. Now, these aren't any administration's uh, uh, ephemeral, temporal values that they bring to it. These are the fundamental rights that each uh, human being is granted by uh, our creator and who are enshrined in international human rights doctrine dating back to that very document you described. It's in our founding. It's in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and what we are 
seeking to do is to ensure that these international organizations don't interfere of that country's sovereign decision to do that, to execute and protect those very rights. Yeah, I think that is an extremely important point to make, that this is not uh, just a, a, the reverse side of cultural imperialism that we saw in the last administration, but it's allowing these countries to operate according to uh, universal standards of, uh, of freedom, freedom of religion, and their own um, you know, uh, cultural and uh, religious convictions. Mr. Secretary, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time. Uh, we are grateful for what you're doing at the Secre- as Secretary of State and um, advancing uh, an understanding of the sanctity of human life literally uh, around the world. So thanks so much for joining us on this uh, special Friday edition of Washington Thank Watch. You. Thank you so much, Tony. Bless you. Have a, have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. Thanks so much. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, President Trump, first president uh, in history to speak at the March for Life. Been going on for 47 years, almost five decades, first president to speak. And it was a great speech. Uh, I, I ran down to the to the mall, marched down to the mall with our team, and then came back and, and actually listened to the speech. Uh, here, here was what I thought was uh, really my favorite takeaway from this speech. Listen to this. Every child brings joy to a family. Every person is worth protecting. And above all, we know that every human soul is divine and every human life, born and unborn, is made in the holy image of Almighty God. Together, we will defend this truth all across our magnificent land. We will set free the dreams of our people. And with determined hope, we look forward to all of the blessings that will come from the beauty, talent, purpose, nobility, and grace of every American child. Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council. That was a pretty strong statement. It was a fantastic statement, uh, Tony. In addition to capturing uh, how we as Christians look at the value of human life and human dignity, the president laid out some clear pro-life policy positions. I think tying it back, and he does this every time he did it at the Value Voter Summit uh, when he spoke, uh, he ties it back that the reason there is value in these human lives is because they're created in the image of God. Yeah, he makes this point, and uh, this is the point that anchors how we think about life, family, and freedom. Absolutely. It is the cornerstone. What was your What was your favorite takeaway from the president's remarks? Yeah, I loved his framing of how we look at human dignity, human life. I was pleased to hear him focus on issues that we are currently working on, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, the need to protect babies who survive botched abortions, a crucial issue now. He mentioned that legislation, which Whip Scalise is leading the effort on the House, Representative of Ann Wagner. We are 14 signatures away from forcing the House to bring it to a vote. Uh, as of now, we have 204 signatures. We need 218, and we need uh, members of Congress who haven't signed to sign that. In addition, he mentioned the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, um, protecting babies who feel pain in the womb. And our friends in Congress, uh, Chris Smith, and um, in the Senate, uh, Lindsey Graham, have that bill. These are all measures that the president would sign, and we want to see move across the finish line. Yeah, he's not letting it go. I mean, he has been talking about these issues since it unfolded a year ago. When you talk about uh, the what we call the birthday abortion, he, you know, some would say, well, if it's 
you know, it's political. Well, if that were the case, he would hit it one time and move on. But he has not let go of this, and he has in, he is determined to see Congress pass legislation. He, he made uh, the point that he will veto anything that weakens current pro-life protections. It was great to hear him uh, mark that uh, that marker in the sand. And um, he also mentioned uh, the Virginia governor's comments uh, refusing to defend babies who survive botched abortions from last year. So. These things need to be brought up again and again because they have policy implications. They have political election implications. And, um, you know, I was really glad to hear the president uh, lay all of this out there. Well, I want to play another clip of what he had to say because I think it really summarizes what we see unfolding right now. Play the clip number two. Sadly, the far left is actively working to erase our God-given rights, shut down faith-based charities, ban religious believers from the public square, and silence Americans who believe in the sanctity of life. They are coming after me because I am fighting for you, and we are fighting for those who have no voice. I agree 100% with that. That's what I've been saying. The attack is on the policies. Hey, Tony, in addition to the life issue, the president's remarks on religious freedom were great. Uh, just today, Secretary Azar announced um, the, that HHS, the Trump administration, is enforcing the Weldon Amendment against the state of California for violating the conscience of churches like our friend Jack Hibbs out there and others who don't want to be forced to be involved in abortion. These are religious liberty issues in addition to life issues, and this administration is getting the job done on all of them. I mean, the, the record is uh, quite clear. And, uh, in fact, folks, you can go to TonyPerkins.com and see for yourself what this administration is doing. Travis Weber, as always, great to have you on the program. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and and share that information with your friends and family. This is not information that you'll get from the media, uh, the mainstream media, and other sources. They don't want you to know that we're actually winning. All right, until next time, folks, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. Found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.